Hello, my name's Sam Breakgear and welcome to Brains Bike Back. In this podcast, we love everything to do with technology and psychology, and we hope you do too. Our interactions with technology have drastically changed since the days of Yahoo and Ask Jeeves. We no longer search for information by typing it in. Instead, we ask our closest friends Siri and Alexa to search it for us. In this episode, we will look at how our interactions with technology and what we search impacts the type of information we receive. You will learn how the SEO industry is reacting to a change in our behavior, tactics they use to give results an edge, and how AI stands to change the SEO game. To discuss this, I'm joined by the senior SEO and content manager at Publicize, a specialist tech PR agency that helps startups build their brands and grow their exposure, Rudy Davis. And for this week's special feature, we have Computer Says LOL, where we share a stand-up clip or a joke relating to technology. This week, we have a clip from The Laugh Factory, where a stand-up comedian compares his neighbor's interactions with Alexa to a toxic relationship. So today I'm joined by Publicize's Rudy Davis, although I think he could probably do a better job of explaining exactly what he does, considering I'm a real novice when it comes to SEO. And I struggle to even remember to say SEO instead of CEO. So Rudy, would you like to start off by saying a little bit about yourself, what you do here at Publicize, and also your experience in the world of SEO? Yeah, sure, Sam. Thanks, introduction, and it's great to be here. Yeah, to, uh, to to clarify, then I am the guy that is responsible for running the SEO strategy at Publicize, which is a digital PR company. Um, and in kind of today's world, SEO and digital PR are almost two sides of the same coin. Um, so yeah, my job is to make sure that the Publicize website appears in as many searches um, as possible that's relevant to our target audience and as well as helping all the publicizers, clients make sure that their SEO is as hot as it can be as well. Smashing. I hear you've um, earned the title SEO Godfather. Is that correct? How'd you get that? Did you have to kill off the previous SEO Godfather? Uh, I inherited it from my dad, who inherited <laughs> it from his grandfather, so on and so on. SEO Godfather Junior, Junior Junior, Senior Senior, and so on. Um, great, so I suppose just before we do get started, one of the things that I really wanted to like highlight why this was interesting to me is because I remember seeing an article which touched upon, I think it was actually called um, The Psychology of SEO. And I don't really know too much about SEO, if I'm being honest. However, I do think it's interesting that it almost seems like it is so deeply entrenched in psychology. Essentially, you're looking for what do people want? What are they looking for? All these sorts of things, they're real kind of almost like deep psychological questions. And then you're boiling them down to like the simple like search engine sort of thing. You, you, you analyze like how do we grab people's attention? What are they looking for? You ask these questions, which a lot of psychologists really would ask. And they seem like they're very much like a baked into like psychology. Yeah, I've never thought of SEO as like a kind of psychological topic until I saw this. And it also touched upon the point of how we interact with technology. For example, previously we would have typed in like sushi restaurants, best San Francisco, and that alone probably would have given you perhaps the results for like the best sushi restaurant in San Francisco. Whereas now people search like Siri, what's the best sushi restaurant in San Francisco? So that, that adds a whole different game to it. But um, really before we get into all of that, I'd really want to know like, what do you think makes SEO so valuable and why is it so valuable today? 
uh, I mean, yeah, that, that was a pretty big, big introduction on the topic of SEO. And yeah, I mean, I absolutely agree with your points about the psychology behind SEO. Uh, you're really trying to understand like what, you know, what every user is trying to achieve with the search that they're typing in. And moreover, with like the metadata you can get from things like Google Trends, from SEMrush and Moz and that type of software, you can really understand, you know, almost like the psyche of the world, what everyone is searching for, what the search trends are, uh, what's on people's minds at that moment in time. So that is what, you know, is really interesting about it. But going back to the point about what makes SEO valuable, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to the point that, you know, most, most queries these days, be they looking for information on a fact, trying to find out how to do something, uh, finding out more about a movie star, um, trying to um, do some research on someone you're thinking of hiring. Pretty much every search now, or every query you have now begins with a search on Google. And it's, you know, it's been that way for at least the last 10, 15 years. Uh, since smartphones came along, you know, I think that's the point when it reached ubiquity, where sort of before 2007, 2008. So back then, yeah, if you wanted to look something up, you'd, you'd have to make a mental note of it, or maybe you'd write it down, and then you'd wait until you're in front of your computer, then you'd search for it and find the answer. The tipping point obviously came when the sort of the smartphone revolution came at the end of the last decade. And from, from that point on, you know, we're never more than a couple of seconds away from putting anything into Google and pretty much straight away getting the answer that we want. Um, so that is why, you know, it's, it's fundamental to the functioning of everyday life. It's pretty much fundamental to how you probably navigate around a city you've never been to before, how you find out what to do, how you find out where there's a good restaurant next to you. And then, of course, um, it's fundamental to pretty much all of your purchasing habits. If you're going to book a flight, book a hotel, buy a pair of trainers, uh, like most of that will probably start with some research in Google. So it's, you know, and how that information gets in front of you, that is the job of SEO. How a website is the first result um, on a web page is what the job of SEO is. So that's how important it is. If you want your business to succeed, if you want your website to get in front of people when they're searching for information, then you have to invest in SEO. I remember Rasheen Mulligan, the former head of publicized marketing team, she once said, and I'm pretty sure this isn't hers, but it definitely made me laugh, the best place to hide a body is the second page of Google. And I gotta say, it's pretty true. I, I don't think I remember the last time I even clicked on the second page of Google. But other than like, ranking and like how high up it is on the page how do you get a result to stand out because that to me seems like uh, the that's the first thing you're going to go to like you're just going to look at the first one but other than that like how can it stand out like say if you're like three four five down how do you make it like get to someone to click on that uh okay so just going back to your point about the best place to hide a body i'd say uh second page of google or maybe the first page of yahoo would also be a uh, as, as good a place to hide a body these days. But yeah, I mean, so, so what you're saying there's a good point in terms of like user behavior when you're doing like a traditional text search on mobile or desktop. And um, about 60, 70% of all clicks are on the top three positions on Google. So that is the space that everyone clamors for. If you, if you kind of, if you're not within the top three, you're only gonna get a very small amount of traffic coming onto your site if you're in positions four to 10. And the, the average, search page, we call it a SERP, a search engine results page, will have 10 organic positions up for grabs. If you're, if you're not position one, I mean, if you're in uh, position two or three, you'll still get a fairly decent amount of click-through coming into your site. If you're beneath that, you're gonna struggle a bit. And the, the kind of the three things that you have control over in terms of what appears in the SERP is the title tag. So that's the, uh, the part that's the hyperlink, and that's sort of the name of the page, which you can choose what the name of the page is. 
Obviously, that will probably contain the target keyword that you're going for and a very short description of what the page is. Uh, you'll then have the URL, and you can set the URL screen whatever you, what you want it to be off of your domain. And then you then have the meta description, which is generally like a one or two sentence summary of what the page is. All right. So the main thing that I was going to ask you, and like I said, the inspiration for this, I suppose, uh, episode of the podcast is um, how we interact with technology is changing. Like I mentioned beforehand, we would have searched for results using text. Now it's increasingly common to use our voice. How has this change impacted SEO? Yeah, it's a great question, Sam. Um, I mean, kind of voice search is almost like the quiet revolution of SEO that unless you're in the industry, you probably haven't given any thought to. Um, I mean, just, just to give you some kind of context with this, it's estimated that, you know, within a few months, by the year 2020, 50% of all searches are estimated to be done by voice, uh, which, if you think about it, is, is a phenomenal rise considering that it only really took off a few years ago. And kind of the driver of that has obviously been smartphone adaptation and then more recently home assistance in people's homes as well. And it's showing no sign of slowing down at all. Um, so what that means that now almost half of all searches are done using voice search is pretty profound. So if you think about it, in the old days, uh, or pretty much from when search was first invented, the, the whole process of it was you would type in um, like a keyword string into Google, and it would be a completely unrealistic way of how you'd actually ask that if you were speaking to somebody and asking them a question. Uh, Google or any other search engine would return you a page of results, and you would then scan the page of results. You'd click on the one or maybe a few that were relevant to you, and then you would then stop your search at the point in time when you've got the information you're after, you made the purchase that you wanted to do, or you've done the research that you needed to do. That has completely changed with voice search. Now with voice search, users ask Google a conversational question as if you're asking another person, and then Google tries to answer that within a sentence or two. It does this by reading out uh, the rich snippets, which I mentioned earlier, that now appear in a lot of searches that you do when you're just doing normal text search. So that's kind of quite an interesting convergence of the, the two main types of search, voice search and text search where you'll usually see those rich snippets appear um, at the top of a lot of pages, particularly if, if what you're searching for is informational, if it's a who, what, when, where, why type of question. In terms of the impacts this is having, um, I mean, I believe these impacts to be pretty profound, both on a business level, but at a wider societal level. So at the business level, kind of as always, when like Google makes a big change like this or something big changes with technology, you, know, you always get your winners and your losers. The winners with this so far seem to be kind of local bricks and mortar businesses that are very well optimized for local search because at the moment the majority of voice searches are performed on mobile and they're, they're, they're local searches and so by, by that we mean it's a user uh, searching for information or searching where to buy or where to eat or where to dine from a physical bricks and mortar uh, destination. So you think it's things like where's the nearest uh, gas station to me? where's the nearest shoe shop to me. Those types of searches make up a hell of a lot of voice search. And websites that have um, optimized their local search very effectively are obviously the winners from this. They've suddenly got this huge new channel of traffic of people directing them to their physical premises. So they're, they're definitely the winners out of this. On the other hand though, there, there's gonna be plenty of losers and there are already kind of the effects are being felt. Kind of the problem with voice search is that Google has fundamentally shifted away from being a search engine and towards being an answer engine. And so in the old days, kind of Google was the gatekeeper to information. You'd ask it something and it would then bring back what it thought would answer your questions and you'd need to click through onto those third party websites to, to resolve your query. 
Whereas now Google is the one providing that answer to you. So this means that it's keeping the user within its environment when users are asking these, okay, at the moment, kind of fairly sort of trivial questions, who, what, when, where, why type of questions. But as voice search continues, it's gonna mean that Google is providing more and more answers, which it's pulling from websites. And kind of the argument that Google says is that, oh, well, you know, it's, it's good for brand recognition because whenever it gives an answer that's from a rich snippet, it will say, according to website name or website name has this to say about this subject. And so the argument there is, well, if, if you've got a rich snippet and you're then the featured result when it comes to voice search or an informational query, like, you know, that user will hear about your brand. But as far as I'm concerned, you still had uh, brand awareness under tech search if somebody clicked on your result. And not only did you have brand awareness, you then had that user come into your website. Once they're in your website, there's all types of things that you would have done to try and get some value out of that user, be it to like buy the product you're trying to sell, sign up for a quote, download a piece of content. Now that Google's just answering the question within its own environment, you have no control over that user. It's very hard for you to get any value out of that user. And that kind of hits head on the trend towards content marketing that has really driven a lot of digital marketing over the last kind of five, 10 years, where a lot of companies have invested a lot of money in kind of informational content to capture people making informational searches. The idea being once you get them onto the site, offer them a free piece of resource to download, you then capture them as a lead and you can then slowly over time prospect them as a lead and try and get them into becoming a customer. The move away from that and the move towards voice search with Google becoming more of an answer engine, kind of calls into question in my mind that model with a lot of searches. So I think that as voice search gets more and more common and we get all more comfortable using it for more and more complex types of searches, then that could have a real impact on businesses that rely on content marketing to get a lot of leads coming in. So that's kind of on the like the business side, but then like at like a sort of a wider, more profound level, uh, because like Google and search is so integrated into our daily lives. I also think that voice search is gonna have some other big impacts that we haven't quite seen yet. First off, it means that Google is, is almost becoming an editor of the world's information rather than becoming sort of the, the window of the world's information. Um, so if you kind of think about subjects where there may not be a consensus of opinion, so things such as uh, nutrition, where there's you know, so much contradictory advice out there about certain meats being good for you or bad for you, uh, how much alcohol uh, is like a good daily limit, a bad daily limit, um, like are eggs you know, bad for cholesterol, you know, all of these questions where there isn't really that consensus of opinion. And in my mind, like Google tech search kind of manages that quite well, where if you type in something like, should I eat bacon, is bacon bad for me? How much bacon can I eat? You'll get, you know, in page one, you'll get quite a few results um, that will differ in opinion, and it, will, and it will kind of show to you, look, there isn't a consensus of opinion here, because the first page of Google is bringing back these results that might have kind of differing opinions from differing people, or cite different studies and different statistics. Whereas if you ask that same question using voice search, like Google can only really provide that answer in a couple of sentences. So what it does, it, it has to remove all nuance from any kind of search that you're asking to provide you with a succinct answer. Although, okay, it can caveat that, you know, with according to, according to this research, um, the science isn't inclusive. It can add those types of caveats, but ultimately it's trying to deliver information to somebody in kind of five, 10 seconds using a couple of sentences, which for a subject where there's no consensus of opinion or where um, it's a very nuanced subject, 
I think that that could have some quite big impacts down the road. And it, it, it remains to be seen, like what the impacts of that will be. And kind of the other thing as well is the kind of average session time for a user when they click through on an organic result is kind of depends on the industry, but let's say it's about a minute. So, I mean, it doesn't sound that long, but it's still like, if you think a minute is still a fairly long amount of time to scan a web page and to kind of read the core bits of information. And within a minute, you can, the way uh, pages are written now to be optimized for that type of user experience, you can pretty quickly pick out the different arguments, you can pick out the conclusions, the salient points. Like that ability for the user to do that, again, is removed almost to zero if Google is just telling you the information in a couple of sentences. So once again, it limits the user's ability, I think in my mind, to perhaps make fully informed decisions um, about some of these questions that it's asking. So, I mean, I think Google is obviously aware of this and they know, you know, it's, they are the gatekeepers to the, to the world's information. And this, of course, means they're becoming editors rather than, as I said earlier, becoming uh, just the gatekeepers of the world's information. And I think some of the ways that they're, they're trying to manage this and that they're aware of this is something that's becoming very important in SEO and we're kind of hearing more and more from Google about is something known as EAT scores. And that stands for expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And as Google, um, they kind of two to three times a year, they'll release a broad core update where they'll do a fundamental change in their search algorithm. And from the last few updates that we've had, we keep hearing that the EAT scores are becoming more and more important way for Google to assess content. And I believe that this is Google's way of ensuring that their editorship of content that is then getting featured in rich snippets you know, is correct. They're not gonna be guilty of providing like really bad information. And they um, have particular focus when it comes to EAT scores on content they class as YMYL, which stands for your money or your life which I think is probably one of the best acronyms that they've, they've ever come up with, by the way. Um, and that is for any content that can have a material impact on your, your physical health, your mental health, your financial health, if you're given bad advice. So that's, if you think about it, any kind of website that deals with like financial advice, legal advice, and physical and mental health advice. And so now they have a lot of criteria around not just the website has to be authoritative, but the individual author needs to be an authority on that subject. And they assess that obviously using metadata by looking at what the footprint of this person is across the internet, how many articles they've had published on high authority websites, how active they are on social media, how many social media followers they've got, even things like, is there links to universities that they studied at, conferences that they've spoken at? So I believe that this is kind of Google's way at the metadata level to ensure that they are having an appropriate level of editorship when it comes to them providing information with their own environment and essentially gravitating towards being a search answer engine. I honestly never knew that it would be that complicated. There's so many layers upon layers upon layers of like things that they need to consider. I wouldn't have even considered those any of those things, I suppose. That's why at least um, now you understand when I say I'm a novice to SEO. What, one thing um, that did stick out with me that you said about was like uh, the results and I get that. That's definitely something which I've noticed more and more like when I'm like, how long do I cook this for? Or how much protein is in this? And then Google just gives me the answer. So it definitely does stick out for me. And I remember as well seeing in the news that um, Genius, the lyrics site, they have had a big issue with Google. And I think the Google and this Gene uh, and Genius, they had a bit of a spat because they were saying like, if you do type like lyrics, of a song, if you go like Bruno Mars lyrics, and then it will usually come up with 
the lyrics on the page in Google and they take them from Genius. So Genius have been saying like, look, we, you're killing us here. Like you just provide the lyrics and beforehand everyone would go onto our page and then now we're getting nothing. And I remember, I can't remember what um, came from that, but yeah, I definitely understand that that's, that's putting some people in a, in a bad position. Yeah, moving on from text, uh, there is something else that I wanted to ask. When it comes to grabbing attention, it seems that visuals are like a key thing. Whenever we talk about advertising, visuals really play a, a big part in grabbing people's attention. And I was wondering to what extent do visuals play a role in SEO? Would you be able to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes, yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. That's one I've never really been asked before. Um, I suppose because at the front end on SERPs, so the search engine results pages, it's so uniform. And on desktop, you, you don't really get many images pulled into search. On mobile, you now get the featured image on your page pulled into the SERP results. So when you're going through most mobile searches, uh, in the right-hand corner of each search result, it will show their featured image. So there has been a move towards optimizing featured images for mobile search away from like a dull stock image that you might just throw up for you know, any old blog post towards better, more bespoke images that have actually been professionally designed. So I think that has had some impact on images becoming more important. So that's kind of at the front end. Once you actually click through to a website, it's still very important what that user does on your site. If the user quickly leaves your site, if they don't spend very long on your site, these are all user signals that Google can then use to kind of downrank your site on, on search results. So absolutely, when a user steps into your environment, uh, it's vital that you keep them there as long as possible. They don't bounce from your page. And yeah, absolutely, one of the ways you do that is by creating just a as visually stimulating environment as you can. So you're kind of talking about things within the header. You'd want to maybe create some nice bespoke icons, um, split up different sections into different background colors, have plenty of headings, plenty of subheadings. Uh, people absolutely love infographics these days. When we publish big guide posts on our website, uh, we will try and have anything from kind of two, three, four, five, maybe even six infographics on that page. A user is far more willing to spend 10, 20 seconds reading an infographic than they are spending 10, 20 seconds reading a couple of paragraphs of text. So if you um, get plenty of infographics on your page that kind of conform to a narrative, then a user may be prepared to stick around to consume each of those infographics and that could keep them on your page for you know maybe two minutes, which would be a really good result and will probably be above your competitors. So I think, yeah, the visual element is um, most important when someone clicks through a result onto your website, then enters your, your environment, and it's there where investing in visuals is really important to try and keep that person on the page as long as possible, uh, to get them to navigate around your site, or maybe to get them to download a piece of content or sign up for a consultation, so absolutely. Awesome, and I'm not sure how much uh, information you'll have on this next question, but it's something which seems to come up in a lot of our themes is, um, artificial intelligence, and it seems like AI is changing everything. Do you foresee AI impacting SEO in the future? And how do you foresee that kind of impact happening? Uh, well, AI is definitely impacting SEO right now, and it has been for the past few years since Google released RankBrain, which is kind of a new ranking factor that was rolled out a few years ago, which kind of going back to what I was just talking about, about assessing how users interact with a website, which is of particular importance there. But essentially what RankBrain does is with every search that is now made in Google, there's no one set formula that Google will use to return those results. And RankBrain is constantly tweaking the importance that Google places on each variable for each search. So things like the importance it places on the number of backlinks you've got, 
the importance it places on the number of keywords you've got, the importance it places on the length of your post, the importance it places on the number of social shares you've got, all these ranking factors, which in the past used to be static, are now constantly tweaking. And Google will constantly tweak that using RankBrain based on real-time feedback it's getting from all of the other searches that happened you know, similar to that search term. And it's constantly tweaking it to find what the best results are. So for example, it will take feedback such as how long users spend on each result, how quickly they bounce, if they click from one result and then click on the next result down. And it, it, it also helps Google to understand searches as a human would understand a search. Whereas in the past, if you typed in gray Sony PlayStation, which is, I'm, I'm actually stealing this example from Backlinko, the, the excellent Brian Dean website. Um, if you typed in gray Sony PlayStation, it would search the web for pages that contain the words gray Sony PlayStation. It can understand that as, as an object. Whereas now it, it can understand that you're searching for um, maybe like a PS1. And it would then probably, well, I'm, oh, we could do a quick search here, but I imagine it would then uh, tell you users also search for and the other types of searches they were searching for. It would then probably display the other models that Sony have brought out since the year it came out. So it instantly understands, it can identify what it is you're searching for, and it can bring back related searches around it. I am absolutely not an expert on this. I'm just a, the guy that heads up SEO for a medium to <laughs> um, small size digital PR company. But I, it suffice to say that AI and SEO like now enables Google to understand search queries as a human would understand a search query. And that is fundamental to how voice search operates. Excellent. Well, after being bombarded with all this information, I'm a little bit smarter. I still think I'd call myself an SEO novice because it just seems like you have to submerse yourself in all this information and keep up to date because it seems like it's constantly changing. So I don't think, unless I was to become your um, new, I don't know, protege, I don't think I'm really ever going to keep up. There's an opening. <laughs> Godfather. And I see why they call you the Godfather now of SEO. Thank you so much, Rudy. That's pretty much all my uh, questions for now. But if people do want to follow you and keep in touch with what you're doing, how can they find you online? Uh, so yeah, just connect with me on LinkedIn, Rudy Davis. Or if you want to contact me directly at Publicize, it's Rudy at Publicize.co. Thank you. I also know you're no stranger to a podcast yourself. You have a podcast as well. Do you want to share it with our listeners? Uh, yeah, thanks for the plug, Sam. Um, it's, it's nothing to do with SEO, unfortunately, but it is a movie podcast called Reviews from the Closet, which is available from all good podcast players if you want to give it a listen. Awesome. Thank you so much. Exclusively for Brains Bite Back listeners, for a limited time, Publicize is running a special promotional offer, giving listeners the first month free of a Publicize year-long strategy. To activate this promotion and learn more about Publicize's PR packages, you can contact Jennifer Poole, Publicize's head of sales, directly with the email jennifer at publicize.co. That's jennifer, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R at publicize, P-U-B-L-I-C-I-Z-E dot C-O. And use the subject Brains Bite Back. Computer says lol. <laughs> My roommate just got that little robot, Alexa. You can talk to it, tell it to do stuff, turn the lights on, turn the lights off. And uh, Alexa is shitty at her fucking job. She is bad at it. And I share a bedroom wall with my roommate, and it just sounds like he's in an abusive relationship. <laughs> he'll come home from work, he'll be like, Alexa, turn the lights on. Alexa, turn the lights on. 
Alexa, turn the goddamn lights up. I'm like, just hit her, dude. She's a robot. She can't feel it. It's not Westworld. But I'm scared of that Terminator shit, you know what I mean? So when he goes to work in the morning, I always pop my head in like, hey, Alexa, you doing okay? <laughs> Heard Greg yelling at you. Just wanted to let you know I'm one of the good ones. Thank you for listening. That's our show for today. But as always, you can find all our shows and more at sociable.co or you can go to our page at Spotify, follow us there, or check us out on iTunes along with a whole host of other podcasting sites. You can also go to sociable.co and subscribe to our newsletter to constantly stay up to date or follow us on YouTube. Thanks and have a wonderful day.